If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to break down this year's edition of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, is my co-host Curtis, and this is a big one, folks. We all know that. We know what's at stake. A commanding lead in the SEC East that will keep all of our playoff hopes alive. However futile they may be, they'd still be alive. It's something, right? And of course, on a more visceral level, pride is at stake here, guys. We've lost to Florida before. We've been there. We've done that. But the thought of losing to Dan Mullen is something that It just makes me sick to my stomach to even think about, to be honest with you. But with all of our injuries and the quarterback situation, is that a reality we're going to have to face come Saturday? Is that something we're going to have to deal with? That's what we're going to explore today on the podcast. The personnel, the matchups, the schemes, all of it. You guys know how we like to do it here on the Glory UGA podcast. We like to go as in-depth as we possibly can, and that is the goal here again today. But first, I do want to throw a quick shout out to Double Dog in Florida for being the listener who's given us our most recent five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's an awesome review, man. Really kind words. We really do appreciate that. We appreciate each and every one of you who have taken time to help us out through the last couple of months, going back into the the spring and the summer as well. You guys are awesome. We've said it many times, this show would not exist without you guys. We, We love you guys. We appreciate all the support. So thank you for that. Those five-star ratings and reviews, they help us more than you guys know. There's no coincidence between us having some record numbers in terms of overall impressions and listens the last couple months, and you guys really doing your part to help us out with those ratings and reviews. They definitely go hand-in-hand. So thank you so much for that, guys, and let's keep them coming. But all right, Curtis, I want to open the conversation today by taking one more look back at last week's game against Kentucky, a game that we won. Yeah, we won. It's always nice to win. But also a game that we only won 14 to three with 346 total yards of offense, which of course is also going to make it a game that has a lot of dog fans very nervous heading into the cocktail party against a Florida team 
with a top 15 offense. Can we keep pace? And it was also, like I think on top of just the fact that we only scored 14 points, had 346 total yards, it was a very different look for the dogs on offense with a heavy rush attack against the Wildcats. And I think that has some people concerned because I don't think that we can keep pace with the top teams in the country with that kind of approach. But Curtis, was what we saw offensively against Kentucky an indication of the type of approach that we can expect from Georgia, from our offense this weekend and even beyond the rest of the way? Or was that maybe more of a game plan specific attack just for that Kentucky game? I think that we, Kirby does want to be, you know, closer to even. I mean, you got to take the Alabama game out of it, cause especially because we got behind. So it's hard to be 50, you know, closer to 50-50 when you're behind. But I will say it had a lot of people worried because Kirby made the comment, you know, we got to get back to Georgia football. And people are like, oh, well, now we're just going to run the ball 90% of the time. And I get that, but I also don't believe that that's truly how it's going to be because even against Florida, like you can try to control the clock and the ball and things like that, but you're still not going to win because you have to score against them. You have to be, put up some points to give your – even last year, I mean, we our offense was kind of similar to that, but we still had to have some big plays because um, they're going to score their points. So you, you're not going to hold them scoreless. And so you got to build up a lead of some sort. And so I think that's the biggest thing when you're playing them. I think that our game plan really is going to depend on just who we're playing and how we have to attack them, because I don't think you can expect to be a run as run heavy against everyone we play. I mean, 75% of the time running the football, that's just not sustainable the rest of the way. I'm not saying we're not going to run the ball more heavily than we did the first four games. I think that maybe we will. Maybe we're kind of figuring out that's our offensive identity right now with the personnel that we have, but those splits, like 75-25, that's a little aggressive. Yeah, I could, I could see like a 55-45 or something, or even maybe 60-40, but never never what we saw. Yeah, and you, can, you might see it spike up you know, one game here and there based on matchups, but like like, like against Kentucky. But I don't think that's going to be the rule moving forward. I think I'm with you here. Like, guys, I think you have to look at the context. I've kind of laid this out again uh, on the recap show, but I've had a few questions since then. Like, is this what we're going to be offensively? And maybe it is. I don't really know, but I – I'm not ready to say like just what we saw against Kentucky because we saw it against Kentucky and that's what we saw most recently. That means that's what we're going to be the rest of the way. Because look at the context. There was no George Pickens. We had two true freshman receivers starting that game. Played, he played every single snap. I was say, he played every single snap. And Burton's been playing. Like Burton's been play, He's been starting from day one. But Ro- and Rosemary's played. He hasn't started. Hasn't played that many snaps. So that's part of the context there. Then you look at the Kentucky defensive front, which is still a really probably the best defensive front we faced all year. But they were still kind of banged up. No Quentin Bohannon, which was the best player in that front. Normally a big, huge nose guard there, NFL player for sure. In Kentucky, the way they like to play defense too, that factor they like to play with a too high look. They really don't get too aggressive. They play kind of that more bend but don't break mentality, kind of like what we do at times. Like at all costs, we don't want to give the big play. We want to, we want to force you to go down the field, long drives, which is exactly what they did. They forced us to do that, and we took it because that's what they were giving us, and that's what we did, and we won the game. We also only had eight possessions in that game against Arkansas. I think we had 16 against Alabama. I think we had 12. We really only had six, though, because we had that very short one, like 20 seconds right before the half. And then we had one thing in the game where we were just running running a clock out, just trying to, to ice the game, and we really weren't even trying to score in that possession. So really only six possessions where we were, were really trying to score, really had a chance to score. And, and like also, like, like I said in the recap show, if you can run it with that kind of success and you know that they can't score on you, which was pretty clear early on in that game, why would you do anything else and potentially give them game-changing 
turnovers like like Tennessee did. I mean, they beat Tennessee 34-7 with less than 300 yards total offense. So why – because they threw two pick sixes. Why would we do anything other than run the football if we were able to run it with enough success to win that football game? And when we threw it, we only threw it 14 times. We threw it effectively when we did when Stetson was not throwing it to the other team. Um, the other, he threw two interceptions. But other than that, I mean, he was, he was good in the passes they actually completed. And honestly – this is why I think this might be uh, the anomaly this, at this point. This is not. This is the exception, not the rule. That was the first time that we have thrown the ball less than 27 times at any point this year. Uh, really almost 50, almost 50% less than our previous low in pass attempts against Kentucky. And, and, and looking at Florida, they have a very different approach defensively. They, they're more so they want to force the issue. They're not going to sit back and play bend but don't break. They're going to force the issue, bring pressure, try to force you into mistakes. And that's different than how Kentucky plays. So if you look at it from both those perspectives, you know, it's you look at how we wanted to, to match up against Kentucky, you look at what Florida does different than what Kentucky does on defense. I'm not sure that that's the rule moving forward. I, I think that we'll probably run the ball more than we did against Alabama, but and I think that we should because we're doing that with a lot of success right now. But I don't think you're going to see those dramatic splits like you saw against Kentucky. I, I'm with you there, Curtis. But all right, when breaking down this Florida team, it all starts with their offense. We know that. They're top five in yards per play offensively in the nation, top 10 in scoring offense nationally, averaging like 42 points a game. And, of course, the two players that get a lot of the love for this Florida offense are the two Kyles, right? I, I, I'm cringing even saying this, but the Kyle to Kyle connection, that's what you hear. And of course, the first Kyle is the quarterback, Kyle Trask who is sixth in the country in passing yards per game, over 330 yards passing each and every time out. More than four touchdowns a game is what he's averaging right now. He's playing at a really high level. And, of course, you have the tight end, Kyle Pitts, almost two touchdowns a game. What makes these two Kyles, Curtis, Trask and Pitts, what makes them so effective in this Florida offense? Well, Kyle Pitts is just a great tight end. It's as simple as that. that. And he's just a hard matchup. But what is it that makes him such a tough matchup? I think just his body type. I mean, he's a long, long, lanky tight end, but he's also very quick and athletic at the same time. Um, he's just hard to match up for any uh, – because even DBs, when they get on him and play him tight, he still just has that bigger body to box them out and make the plays on them. And that, that's really the big difference of him, um, what makes him so hard to cover is because he almost has like a, a wide receiver's body but the tight end uh, size. And what about the other Kyle at quarterback? What's made him so effective this year at that position? I think Kyle Trash is just a good fit for the system. I think, I, I mean, I, I think he's a good quarterback, yes, but I, I think he is greatly benefited by the system they run. I feel like a lot of his high percentage throws come from the short intermediate throws because they like to dump the ball off and their guys make plays down the field. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what he's doing, to be honest with you. I mean, if you look at Kyle, at Kyle Trask, yes, his strengths, this is what I said about Kyle Trask in the preseason, and I, and I stand by it. Kyle Trask is a lot more similar to Jake Fromm than he is to Trevor Lawrence. That was the impetus for me saying that. Is somebody out there, I think one of the podcasts, maybe Cover 3 podcasts, uh, they basically put Kyle Trask first-year star stats versus Trevor Lawrence first-year star stats, and they're like, is Kyle Trask the new Trevor Lawrence? I was like, no, he's far closer to Jake Fromm because the similarities are, are, are so stark. Smart, decisive guy, accurate the intermediate range limited mobility, and the thing that makes Trask so effective this year, you're exactly right, Curtis, is that he has a lot more skill players than Jay Farmer to work with that thrive in the area that he thrives in, throwing the ball in the short to intermediate range. That really complements what he does well. He's not fast. He's not athletic. I will say he's kind of trimmed up a little bit this year. It seems like to me he's gotten a little bit quicker from what I remember from him last year, breaking down the tape through the summer, but he's still not fast. He's still not athletic, uh, but he's big enough to run some quarterback power 
uh, to help them jumpstart with the bad run game. They did that a little bit more against Missouri coming out of the, the double bye we get with the COVID issues because uh, they're having some trouble running the ball traditionally. So they're doing different things, trying to incorporate Kyle Trask into a little bit. Because even though he's not big and fast, or even though he's not fast enough, like he's big. So, you know, he can, he, if you get behind an offensive line, you can fall forward for a couple yards. And that, hey, you get three or four yards, that's a solid, you know, first down play. They're getting Kadarius Tony involved in the run game as well. But, but make no mistake, Trask is not going to kill him one of his legs, but they will run him still. They will run him. And going back to Pitts, you're right, Kurt. It's all about his versatility, the body type, the 6'6, 245 body. And this is a guy that, He's just so athletic. He's certainly not the biggest guy, but he does a decent job blocking inline. He's not dominant as an inline blocker, but he's good enough to pose enough of a threat to be versatile in that regard. So they could run, they could throw with him in there. Uh, right now, he's he's playing really well. He's a really, really, really good tight end, probably the best tight end in the country. But I will say, like he got he got off to this 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 awesome start to the season. I think four touchdowns against Ole Miss, and he's been good the past couple weeks since AM and Missouri. But he hasn't been nearly as dominant. 10 catches for 128 yards and one touchdown over the last two games. Still really good numbers by by any measure. But those aren't like the crazy, insane numbers he's putting up the first couple of weeks. So he's come back down to earth a little bit, but that's not that fullest. He's still an extraordinarily talented player. And I think one of the things that also makes him so effective, not just the versatility and the things he brings physically, but what they do with him from a schematic standpoint. They move him around. They do a great job of moving, moving him around, whether he's going to play in line, he can play slot, he can play out wide. And guys, I'm going to give you a tendency right here. When they go trips to one side and put him as a single wide receiver to the boundary on any given play, the ball is going to him. So watch that on Saturday. When they put him as a single wide receiver out wide to the boundary, the ball is going to him. They love the back shoulder throw out of that look because he's just a big physical guy. Uh, and he just has that body. It's a bigger body type than most corners out there. So he can just use that to leverage himself and make plays and just block out the, the DB there. Uh, and and like the, the problem is with the versatility – you guys know how this works. He's so athletic and so big. It's almost impossible for a linebacker to defend him because he's got so much speed and athleticism. But he's also bigger at 6'6", 245 than just about every safety or cornerback that he's going to face. So moving him around makes it also really difficult to game plan for him. I know a lot of people, you come into a matchup against a guy like Kyle Pitts, you just say, oh, well, just, you just double him, right? You just make it where he can't beat you. Guys, that's easier said than done with how they move him around. I got to give Dan Mullen credit. I'm not, a, you guys know, I think Dan Mullen is, he's a weird dude. That's fine. Let him do him. But he's a good offensive mind. He, I don't think he's the best offensive mind in the country like some people think he is, but he's a good offensive mind, and they do a good job moving him around, which makes it really tough to game plan for him in terms of like, okay, we're going to double him wherever he goes because one play might be in line. He, they might be in the slot. They might be out wide. It's tough to do that from play to play without knowing where he's going to line up, and they just do a good job of, of making it unpredictable on what they're going to do with him. But they're both good players, and it certainly starts with them. But, Kurt, they don't do it alone. Who else do we need to watch out for on this Florida offense? Um, the main other person that you really have to watch out for is Kadarius Tony. Right now, he's been the big play threat um, more than anybody this year. Tony is electric, man. And I, he's a guy that didn't really play at all last year. I think he had maybe one touch in the game last year. He was more of a factor as a freshman, if I remember correctly. He wasn't a factor in the game. He dealt with injuries all last year. But Kadarius Tony is the correct answer. He is a nightmare from the slot. And when you have a guy like Kadarius Tony, who's that prototypical slot, twitchy wide receiver, that's just so tough to handle in space when you can't get a hand on him off the line of scrimmage when he plays in the slot like that. You match him with a guy like Kyle Pitts. You have those two options in the middle of the field out of the, out of the slot or the tight end position. That makes it really tough to handle their short intermediate passing game. It makes it really tough to handle. But Tony is tough, man. He's incredibly twitchy. He really has that make-you-miss ability, that, that juke ability. Um, they get him involved in a lot of different ways. A screen game. Traditionally, before this year, it was a screen game, the fly sweep. I never really thought they'd really maximize his skill set. 
again, I have to give Dan Mullen credit here. They've really maximized and activated Kadarius Tony's skill set this year. They're, yeah, they're definitely still using him in the screen game, the fly sweep game. They're using him in the short game with mesh routes, with option routes, whip routes, all those kind of things. And he has become a major factor for, the, for them this year, really taking a lot of pressure of Kyle Pitts. It's not to focus all your attention on him when you've got Kadarius Tony running around and he can really hit you for one. You can throw the ball five yards, a guy takes it 60 for a touchdown. That's really tough to handle. And then out wide, you've got two guys, Trevon Grimes, Jacob Copeland, who are good receivers. They don't threaten you as much. It's really, again, guys, it's the slot in the middle of the field with Tony and Pitts that they really, really do a lot of their work. But uh, Kadarius Tony is a guy that we've got to find an answer for. And I don't, I honestly, I'm, that's, that's something I'm concerned about. I just don't know if we have an answer for him right now, him or Pitts. It's tough. It's tough. And guys, we have a ton more to talk about, a ton more to break down in this game, this huge matchup in Jacksonville between the top two teams in the SEC East and a game that could ultimately end up deciding the SEC East. There'll still be a lot of games left to play after this one, but this will certainly give one of the two teams a huge edge in the divisional race. But before we move on and break down the rest of the Florida Gators, let's talk about our good friends at MyBoogie for just a quick minute or two here. You guys know... All of football, NFL, college, it's all back. The Pac-12 is back this week. The MAC is actually playing right now as I speak. So with all the football going on, there are thousands of lines available on all your favorite teams, all your favorite events, all the other sports going on too. The Masters will be here in just a couple of weeks, which means you can turn your game day into payday with our friends at MyBookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to bet the big favorites, I'm kind of partial to, to that strategy myself then consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. And don't forget the underdogs, they also have a ton of value. Whatever your preference is, MyBookie's got you covered. They got game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. Guys, it's never too late. It's never too late to get in on the action. One week can change your fortunes. So start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. All you got to do is sign up at MyBookie. And when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks, man. And that's something, just a little something to give you a head start on your winning season. Again, that's promo code overtime for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. So sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Kurt. So they definitely have some playmakers on offense, but a lot of people this week are talking about how, yeah, Georgia's defense is good, but look at what Alabama did to them. And, and, and they expect Florida to enjoy similar success with the numbers that they are putting up. So do you expect us to have as many issues defending this Florida offense as we did the Alabama offense a couple of weeks ago? Um, No, and I think the big reason is you kind of mentioned it while they're good in the slot and the tight end. On the outside, they have some good receivers, but like nothing that truly scares you where the difference in the Alabama receiving core is literally every person on that core is a big, big home run threat because I can take the ball to the house on any one play. And that's the big difference in the what we did or playing Alabama and playing Florida is just the danger of their receiving core. And, yeah. I, the, the, and I think that's just the big difference between the two, in my opinion, which was why Alabama was just such a harder matchup. 
And, you know, I'll talk about it later, but also the fact that we have now been exposed, or not, the defense has been exposed, but that you've played someone that good and you kind of have that judgment factor. You know, we had a wake-up call for our guys. And at the same time, you've seen what good receivers can do and you kind of adjust your defense accordingly. Like we're, we, when, we were, yeah. when we played Alabama, we had that game plan, but, you know, we didn't adjust because, it, I mean, it just was hard. And we, you know, But now we kind of know maybe, hey, that wasn't working, so let's try something else. Yeah, go back to the drawing board. We know that wasn't working, so how can we address what they did to us? Like, how do we fix that moving forward? And I, I think you're right there. I, I'm with you. I don't – like, I'm not saying that Florida is – like, we're going to shut Florida down. This is a good offense, guys. All right, they're going to – Because I mentioned they're going to score their points. Like, they're not Alabama-level offensively, in my opinion, but they're still a good offense that will score. I mean, you saw it last year, it, even though it was at the end of the game and they made it a close game. They're going to get their points. You're never going to hold them scoreless. Uh, I totally agree. They're, they're going to score, guys. I mean, this is good offense. And, and like I told you guys after the Alabama game, defense doesn't win championships anymore. Good enough defense and great offense wins championships – um, so they're going to score. It's, it's just the, the way college football has evolved, the way the rules evolved, uh, just the schemes offensively with RPOs and how they put defenses in conflict. It's just tough right now to stop everything an offense can do if you have a good offense coordinator and offensive coach, like as they do with Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson calling the plays. But I, I'm with you in that. Like they don't, they're not going to attack us the exact same way Alabama does because they don't have the same personnel. I'm not going to say we're not going to have any issues defending Florida. I think we will have some issues. But the issues will be different than the issues that we had against Alabama. Number one, Kyle Trask to simply just not throw the ball downfield all that much. He does not really threaten you down the field vertically. Yeah, I mean, Mac Jones, Mac Jones throws a beautiful deep ball compared to Trask. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is no comparison there between Kyle Trask throwing the ball down the field and Mac Jones throwing the ball down the field. I'm not saying necessarily – I think Mac Jones is probably better than Trask. I would take him over Trask. He's a little bit more athletic and he throws the ball down the field vertically better. But I – I don't think there's any comparison there really in terms of like who pushes the ball vertically down the field and who threatens you more. And some of it has to do with the receivers that they have out wide. Sure. But the fact is Kyle Trash just does not throw the football down the field. Get, get this stat guys. This is from sports information solutions. 71% of their receptive receiving yards come after the catch 71% of them. Okay. Kyle Trask is only 11% of his completions, only 11% of his completions, guys, this year are for 20 or more yards. It, he actually only has four completions, to take this a step further, four completions of 20 or more yards outside the hash marks, all right? He's 72% of his completions have come between zero and 10 yards, all right? Zero and 10 yards, 72% of his completions. I'm not saying Kyle Trask is not good. He does, They do a really good job understanding what he's good at, and they call those plays. That's good offensive coaching. But what he's doing is he's distributing the ball in the short to intermediate range, getting playmakers in space. They do an outstanding job of getting guys open, scheming guys open, using pick plays, all that kind of stuff. And Trask is smart, decisive, and he he's pretty accurate in that range. And then once he gets the ball in space, you've got guys like Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney who are electric with the ball in his hands and can make things happen after the catch. They also get their running backs involved too in the passing game, more so, they do, more so than they do the, really the running game. And those guys can make plays after the catch. I think it was maybe the first play from scrimmage. Uh, it was Malik Davis, one of their running backs, caught a pass, kind of a swing pass out, out the, um, the left side of the line last week against Missouri. It was completely blown coverage, but they get those guys in space and they can make things happen. That's what their offense is. It's very different than Alabama. Alabama, yeah, sure, they can, they'll throw you some of those mesh routes, but they get those guys on. Like if, you, if you're basically playing deep coverage against them and you're playing zone coverage, then Alabama will take the underneath stuff. If you're playing man, they're going vertically down the field. 
Florida, even if you're playing man against Florida, they, they, they're going to resort to more pick plays instead of pushing the ball vertically down the field. That's just not what they have personnel-wise. Trash doesn't have a great arm. It's not a noodle arm. It's certainly not a great arm. And that they don't have those receivers out wide. Grimes is good. He's solid. Copeland's good and solid. But they're not Devontae Smith. They're not Jalen Waddle. So that's not their game. Their game is to get the ball in space, scheme those guys open, get them the ball in space, and let them go make plays, be dynamic playmakers. That's what they do. So it's very different. Like we had trouble with Bama because they were run the football on us number one. They had, and they also could hit those vert- vertically down the field. They put us in that conflict. It was very tough to deal with. Well, Florida doesn't push the ball down the field. We don't have to worry about that as much. And they also don't have anywhere near the run game, the offensive line that Alabama has. I think they're an easier offense to scheme against and to defend. I'm not saying they're easy to defend. I think they're easier than Alabama to defend because they rely more on scheme to get the receivers open as opposed to having the receivers just get open because they're dynamic playmakers. Okay, now Kyle Pitts, he can get open because he's a dynamic playmaker. You can say the same thing about Tony, but the guys out wide, they're not like the Bama guys. It's a different kind of offense. They don't really utilize heavy formations like Alabama did. I mean, Alabama did a good job of using two tight ends, 12 personnel, getting us in our base defense, which we don't have as many of our athletes on the field. And so that kind of neutralized some of the athletes and the depth that we have in the secondary. And they also, Florida doesn't really like to leave blockers in like, like Alabama would do. Like right now, Florida's number one in the SEC and plays out of an empty formation offensively. They also make a living in bunch formation. 40% of their plays come out of the bunch formation. Again, that's where they get a lot of the pick plays and they, and they scheme guys open using that bunch formation. And I, I know I just mentioned it, but guys, pick plays galore, okay? Those, those plays, whether it's mesh, they do all sorts of different things to get guys open through, through – they say natural picks, but if you watch them, guys, just watch it closely. Some of these are obvious picks where the, the receiver's not even running around. He's running straight into the defender, and I hope that Kirby brings that to the, the attention of the officials prior to the game say, hey, watch for this, because if you watch tape, it's obvious. Like, you're not even running routes, okay? It's not a natural pick. They are running directly like like a missile straight into the defender. That's what they're doing. It, it's offensive pass interference. But all, all the success that Kyle – I shouldn't say all the success, but a lot of the success that he has getting open in, in the red zone, like he's a big physical guy. Obviously, he's got a great skill set. But they also do a great job of, of using some pick plays to get him in space, and a lot of those are illegal plays. But for some reason, of course, they're going to get away with it. So just putting that out there. But I think it's a different offense to defend than Alabama. And I think maybe a little bit of an easier offense to defend because they don't have – as much of that of that ability to threaten you with the run and the pass simultaneously. They also don't push the ball vertically down the field as much. They're not as balanced as Alabama. So tough offense to defend. I don't know if they're as tough as Alabama, in my opinion. That's just me. But all right, so Florida fans, Curtis, and the national media members, they have behind them because they've had a lot behind them all offseason long. They love to play up that offense, and understandably so. It's a really good offense. But the defense that they like to just so conveniently ignore, that's another story entirely. Ole Miss put up over 600 yards against them. a and nearly put up 550. A&M's offense is certainly not dynamic. But, Curtis, what has been the issue for this Todd Grantham defense so far this year? What's been the root of all their struggles? The biggest difference this year compared to what Todd Grantham's done in the past is he just doesn't have the pass rush. Um, Todd Grantham's defense is all built about creating pressure, and he just doesn't have that natural, natural pass rush this year that he has had in the past, which is the biggest difference. Yeah, I totally agree. There's no Jonathan Grenard there. I would also say it's the pass rush is a key thing for them. You're right, because they've created havoc against teams with that pass rush and really made it tough for quarterbacks. But another thing this year that I think is really hurting them is they just have no depth on the defensive line. They got two guys, Daryl Slayton and Kyrie Campbell, on the interior that are pretty good players. 
Campbell's missed some time. He missed some time against AM. I don't think he played in that game. Jervon Dexter, the highly rated true freshman recruit playing the defensive line. He's he's getting some playing time, but he's just not ready from a physical standpoint right now. Athletic guy, gonna be a good player. I just don't know if he's there yet. Slayton's a good player. He's the biggest guy. He's the more, most consistent player inside, but they really have no one outside that. They have no depth whatsoever. And those guys are fine, but they're not dominant interior players. I mean, at times against AM, they were playing, uh, they, they were playing Moon inside. They were playing uh, Campbell inside at times. So, like, when you're playing basically your edge rushers inside like that. Yeah, because A&M was moving the ball really easily on them in the run game. I mean, they were getting pushed at will. I mean, they were moving, like, Jeremiah Moon, who's who's he, he's an outside linebacker, guys, and they had to resort to playing him inside because they just don't have the depth. And when that guy's playing inside, oh, my God, yeah, you can push a guy back 10 yards. I mean, there's there's no resistance there. So when you have to play some of those guys inside – that's tough. And if you look at how we're running the football right now, that's a matchup that I like. I also think they're really weak on the edges against the run. I, I, Britton Cox, I, I, look, I, there's a lot of reasons I want to win this game. He is one of the reasons I want to win this game. He's talked a lot of trash. Now, I would like to, would like to win this game. And how it ended here wasn't, wasn't such a positive way for things to end. But he's a decent pass rusher, pretty probably their best pass rusher. But he is weak on the edge against the run. So is Jeremiah. I, mean, I think we, have, we can have a lot of success on the edges against them they don't set the edge particularly well they lose contain at times you mentioned it curse they're not a dominant pass rush team there's no Jonathan Grenard there's no Zaniga they all and here's the other thing too for a team a program that likes to purport to be DBU which I think historically they can make that argument they've had some really good DBs I'm not trying to trash what they've had in the past but this year it ain't it man it ain't it they have some issues in the secondary right now. They're 13th, according to Pro Football Focus, they're 13th in the SEC in their overall coverage grade. Their safeties are a problem. Sean Davis is decent in coverage. Remember, he's a guy that we got turned around on that play last year with Lawrence Cager, that big play in the second half. But uh, Brad Stewart, Donovan Steiner, two other safeties that play for them. Those guys both are rating out, grading out in the 40s right now in pass coverage. Marco Wilson this at the cornerback opposite. Kyrie Elam. Kyrie Elam's a good player, guys. He's going to be a really, really good player for them. He's their best cover guy. But Marco Wilson's grading out at cornerback in the 40s right now. Trey Dean's grading out in the, in, in, the, in the low 60s, high 50s, depending on the game. They, they have some issues in the secondary. And I know we aren't super equipped to maybe take advantage of that right now with our passing game, but there are going to be some chances. There are going to be some chances because we can beat some of those guys, the safeties. We can beat Marco Wilson. We can. We absolutely can. And their linebackers aren't very good either. Amari Bernie, uh, he played some star for them last year. He's not quite big enough or instinctive enough to be a really good inside linebacker. Oh, he's got, he does have some good speed. Ventrell Miller, the other guy inside, he's just – it's the opposite. He's not fast enough. He's big enough and physical enough to play inside, but he's just not fast enough to play silent sideline. Both those guys right now are grading out in the mid-50s. I think right now, Curtis, just overall, whether it's the passers like you mentioned, whether it's the defensive line depth, whether it's the, the issues in the secondary, I think it's just a personnel issue for them right now. I think some of their – I don't want to say issues recruiting. They still recruit well, all things considered, but they just don't recruit like we recruit. You know, top 10 classes consistently are different than top – two and three classes consistently. So I think it's just personnel issues for them right now. They just don't have those guys. They lost a lot of their playmakers the past couple of years and they haven't replaced them so far this year. And it's been a problem for them. But the question becomes like, okay, so yeah, their defense is struggling, but so, so is our offense. Our offense has been sputtering at times as well this year. So with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, Curtis, are we equipped to take advantage of Florida's defensive deficiencies? If you had asked me before the Alabama game, I would have said yes. But the way that the second half went, it, I just don't have a lot of confidence at this moment. Second half of the Alabama game? Yeah. Ever since that second half of the Alabama game, Stetson's been a completely different quarterback. And that's yeah. why it's hard for me to say that we can take advantage of it because we should have taken advantage of the Alabama defense uh, like we did in the first half. 
but in the second half, ever since that second half, we've, I don't even know what you call what we have. There. I think, yeah, you're right. You're not wrong. I think a big part of that is getting behind in the game, though. When you get behind like that, it, you know, Stetson obviously is, is still new to playing quarterback at this level, and I think he was forcing some things. Hopefully that's not the case where he gets behind has to do that. If we do, then we're going to be in trouble. I don't want to spoil my key to the game, but that might be my, that might have something to do with it. But I do think there are some areas, some matchups that we, that we can really take advantage of in this game offensively, even with some of the issues that we've had struggling offensively to consistently find a, an identity and move the football. If you look at their rush defense, guys, right now, according to Pro Football Focus, they have the 77th rated rush defense in America. Right now we're rating out with the ninth rated rushing offense. So that – We've been moving like I had. I was concerned early on with our offensive line, especially against Arkansas. But we've progressively improved each and every week and gotten better and better and better. I do have to acknowledge that their defensive front has gotten healthier than it was in the early part of the season. But our offensive line does continue to improve and grow. And it's it is one unit. We have a lot of injuries on this team right now going to this game. But that's one unit where we are healthy. Ben seems like he's ready to go and play. So I think that is a matchup. If you look on paper and just watch how they played and watch how we've played how things are trending, I think that's a matchup that we can that we can win in this game. We need to win if we're going to find a way to win this football game. And if we establish that, if we're able to establish the run game against, a, I think, a suspect front six for, for Florida, I think we can attack their linebackers and safeties and coverage off play action. A&M really hurt them with that. They, A&M figured out in the second half, like, oh, yeah, they can't stop our run game. And every now and then we'll throw some play action there and they'll be completely lost. And that's exactly what happened. And they kept them off balance enough. They were able to come back and win that football game. I think we can follow a similar formula. Of course, Florida probably realizes we're going to try to do that, but realizing it and being able to stop it, those are two different things. Again, I just don't know if they have the personal defensively to be able to do that. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That, but all right, let's go ahead and move into our three, two, one segment. I want to make sure to leave plenty of time for this. Where if you're new to the show, so what, what we do in the three, two, one segment is we give you three reasons to be optimistic about the dog's chances this week, two causes for concern, and then we wrap things up with one key to the game. So, Curtis, I'm just going to let you go ahead, man. Give me your three reasons for optimism heading into this matchup in Jacksonville. Um, you know, I didn't mention that we've already played Alabama, so I think that we've seen the best wide receiver core in the nation. 
Um, so I think that has to give us some confidence because, like I mentioned, we, we see what works and what won't work against a team like that. So it kind of gives you something to look at, especially when you're facing Florida. So I'm going to go with that. Um, number two is I think that we're probably going to be the most physical team Florida has played. And I'm not saying Florida's not physical, but they're close to a finesse type team. So I think that helps us just being a physical team uh, playing them. And then lastly, I'm just going to go with an edge. The fact that, as we know, Florida and their coach always like to talk crap in the media and always have something to say. And they just find a way to give you something to play for by the way they always run their mouth. Uh, so that's what I'm going to go with that for my first three. And you're right. I love that last one, just like the psychological edge, which I'm always hesitant to go with something like that because like, I think some of that stuff matters. Like, you know, like maybe before kickoff, but once the ball's kicked off, like how much does it matter? But I think this is, this is a, this is one that maybe it, it's a game where it kind of matters because Kirby hates Florida. He makes this game a very important game year round. Our players understand that. And he also has a familiarity with Dan Mullen. And Mullen has some, some familiarity with him as well, but Mullen's basically had no success as Kirby Smart coach defenses. He just hasn't. So I think there, there, there might be some sort of edge that occurs. I think you might be onto something. And, and also you throw on top of that this week, the fact that we're hearing so much about how terrible our offense is. We have no chance. I know technically we're still favored, but it feels like if you listen to any national pundit out there, very few of them are picking us. But what did Barrett Salise say, Curtis? Again, now you think you learned his lesson after Auburn, but he said we're going to win. We're going to lose by point, at points. least a ten point win or something. Yeah, yeah, I think he at said we're going to lose by at least something. ten points, double digits, which is fine. Maybe it happens. I, I don't know how things are going to turn out, but when you hear things like that, it just those things give you a little a little edge, a little something that helps your preparation, your focus throughout the week. And in, in a game that might be tight, maybe maybe something like that does end up playing a factor and being a difference in the game. I, I certainly cannot discount that at all. Uh, I like those. So I got a couple for you here as well. My three reasons for optimism. Number one, guys, Kyle Trask is a good quarterback, okay? He's good. And he's having a really good season right now. But he's also really good, really, really good when he's able to stay in that pocket with no pressure, like most quarterbacks are. When he's not pressured, he's grading out, according to Pro Football Focus, with an 88.4. When he's under pressure, that grade drops over 30 points down to a 55. Now, of course, when you're under pressure, most players, most quarterbacks, their, their grade's going to drop, but that's a really dramatic drop. But here's the thing. he's His grade is 84.4 when he's blitzed. So what that tells me, 55 grade under pressure, but 84.4 when he's blitzed, he struggles when you can get pressure on him with a, with a four-man natural pass rush and you can play coverage behind it, okay? So that's the key to this game. Can we get that natural pass rush against Kyle Trask. That's when he starts to struggle. Because, guys, he will throw balls up in the air. He's a smart player. He's, he's decisive, all those things. But he's not above throwing a ball up in the air. He threw up a lot of – I think he had the most turnover-worthy throws in the SEC last year. And he's thrown a lot of those this year as well. He gets away with them. for he's just The luck of God, he gets away with them. But he will throw some balls up in the air. I know we have an issue with Stetson Bennett doing that at times. But Trask is down above that, guys. He will do it. So if you can get some pressure on him, that might be a big difference in this game. And right now, Aziz Ojolari, here's why I'm, here's why I'm optimistic about it. The past couple of years, we haven't been good rushing the passer. We've been much better this year. Aziz Ojolari is the top-rated edge rusher in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. We're number one in sacks in the entire league right now, even though we've only played five games. Some teams have played six. And now I will say that <clears throat> Mullen does a good job of getting the ball out of Trask's hands quickly with his play design. But I think we have a better chance to pressure him than any other team they face so far. I would personally love to see Adam Anderson on some standard downs a little bit more in this game. Now, I know that he isn't big enough to stand up against the run against most teams, but Florida's just not as much of a threat with the run game. Their offensive line is not particularly strong. It's not very good. They aren't dominant up front. 
I think this is a game where maybe we try to get away with Adam Anderson in there as the outside linebacker in some of these uh, in, in some of these standard down situations just to try to get him on the field so he can rush the passer. Because when you can get a natural pass rush, he's our, he's our best natural pass rusher, guys. If we can get a pass rush with four guys on trash, that can be a major difference in this game. And I also think if Jordan Davis doesn't play and we have some of these injuries on the interior, maybe we want to experiment with sliding a guy like Trevon Walker, Malik Herring, slide those guys down inside to play like the three-tech and give Anderson some more opportunities. That's something that I would strongly explore in this kind of game. So that's that's my number one reason for optimism. My second reason for optimism is quite simply, as I mentioned a second ago, our offensive strength run the football is going up against their major defensive weakness, which is stopping the run. That's a major matchup advantage for us in this game. I can't guarantee that we're going to win that, but if you look at what we've been doing offensively, run the football with so much success, what they've struggled with defensively stopping the run. I mean, AM beat them guys in the second half because they simply could not stop AM's running attack. They couldn't stop it. They knew what they were going to do, and they could not stop it. I know it's a couple of weeks ago, but – that game still happened, and they, they've gotten some guys back. I get that, but that game still happened. So I like that match with our offensive strength, run the football. We kind of figured out that's more of our identity versus their demons of weakness. Of course, they know what we're going to try to do, but again, I don't know if they can stop it. So that's my second reason for optimism. And third, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. I'll just go back to it because I think this is something that we should be that we should feel pretty good about. Florida, just, they just don't. Again, they don't threaten you vertically with an explosive pass game like Alabama did. That's really what gave us issues. All these issues people talk about, well, George got exposed against Alabama. What hurt us is that they just had really dynamic, explosive wide receivers out wide, and they can run the football. So it's tough when they put you that kind of conflict to be able to stop both of them. When you have those dynamic playmakers at running back and receiver, it makes it extraordinarily difficult. They just beat us man-to-man. I don't know if Florida has those guys out wide. I don't think they have the run game to do what Alabama did to us. For them, it's all about getting guys open and getting the ball in space, as I mentioned, and then letting them do damage after the catch. Well, here's the thing, guys. When that's how their offense is structured, what becomes really important? Tackling becomes extraordinarily important. According to Pro Football Focus, the Georgia Bulldogs defense has the number one tackling rate in the entire SEC right now. So that is a huge factor in this game also. I'm not saying we're going to be able to tackle them every single time. Kadarius Tony in space is tough to handle. But, but, if there's any team that they face at this point that can do it, it would be our defense. So there's a couple reasons for optimism. But, of course, Curtis, this is going to be a tough matchup. A lot of people are picking us to lose this game. So there's definitely some reasons for concern. So give me two reasons that we need to be that we should be concerned about this game, Kurt. Um, Stetson Bennett's lack of confidence the last couple of weeks, I think, is definitely number one. Yeah. That's, 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 I mean, that's got to change. If we're going to win this game, we can't, we're not going to be able to run the ball. I don't think we're going to be able to run the ball 75% of the time and win this game. We've got to be able to be a little bit more balanced and, and that lack of confidence needs that swagger back. That's a big part of his game. That's how he was rolling early on. We got to get it back. We'll see. We'll see if it happens. That's a big one. All right. What's your next reason for concern? Um, The injuries. That's just the second thing you've, you know, they've got to, got to be mentioned. Yeah, I was going to go there. Uh, I'll let you have that one. I'll go with something different. What, which injury are you most concerned about? Um, I'm probably going to go with Richard because of how he helps uh, against someone like Kyle Pitts. Yeah, with the way the, the Florida offensive structure, where their playmakers are, I think Richard, you can make that strong argument. I I might, I said Jordan Davis earlier in the week, I might be going to Richard LeCount now, but Davis is a tough one because we're going to basically be able to just shut down their, def- their, their rushing attack completely with Jordan Davis. We might still be able to do that. I just don't know if we're going to be able to do it as consistently which is uh, that'll come to one of my concerns here in a second but all right i like those Kurt. here i'll give you these here's two reasons that i'm concerned obviously how do you deal with kyle pitts and Kadarius tony that's a major matchup issue i mentioned earlier in the show pitts and tony both do most of their damage from the slot in the middle of the field and where do we have most of our issues covering guys it's guys in the slot that's where we have issues from the star position the money position 
Going back to last year, that's where we have our issues in coverage. Tyree Stevenson right now, guys, is the is in the bottom 25 in the country in yards allowed when he's in slot coverage. He's a talented guy, but he's getting beat too much right now. All right, and, and Mark Webb, we saw it last year. They in the second half when they made made their comeback, it's because they realized, oh yeah, we're having a lot of trouble covering them from the slot, and they're just attack Mark Webb play after play after play. And then you you mentioned Curtis, we don't have Richard LeCount, who was going to be a big part of the game plan, matching up with Pitts and matching up with Tony, especially Pitts. That's concerning. So when they when they have their strength offensively in the slot versus our one of our maybe our biggest weakness offensively def- defending in the slot position. That's a matchup that, that does concern me. There's no doubt there. And I, I'm curious to see if we have an answer. We might not, but we got to find one. We got to figure out something. But that, that's certainly something to be concerned about. And then the other thing I would say that I'm concerned about is can we, like, their run game is not good. They're not a good rushing offense, but they do a good job of spreading you out and running from the spread formation. So can we stop their run game when we only have six guys in the box when they spread us out, especially without Jordan Davis? Now, this is where I think Jordan Davis potentially being out. And who knows? Kirby hasn't officially ruled him out, but it doesn't seem likely he's going to play. But without him, it, it concerns me. Because right now, Florida, like I mentioned earlier in the show, they have they go, the highest percentage of SEC offense is going with empty formations. And they're also number two in the SEC, even though they're not a good rushing offense. But when they go with those spread looks, they're number two in the SEC in yards per rush when – the defense only has six defenders in the box. They're averaging 6.6 yards to carry against light, light boxes with only six defenders. On the flip side, we're giving up about five and a half yards to carry over the last two with light boxes, only six defenders. Now, of course, there's circumstances there. You got Bam, who threatens you more vertically, makes it tough. And then we didn't have Jordan Davis for most of the game last week against Kentucky, who all they want to do is run the football, and they have a dual-threat quarterback, which makes it a little bit different of a, of, of a circumstance for sure. But we're going to have young Davis linemen playing a lot of snaps. Monty Rice is not 100% dealing with that foot issue. Uh, and without Jordan Davis, like this is a problem with Jordan Davis. This is not a problem, but I still think we'll be fine, but it's certainly a thinner margin without Davis. And if, and if they can find a way to run the football with those spread out looks and force us to get more bodies in the box, then we have no chance to stop their passing attack. And that's when it becomes a really, really tough situation, a tough game for us to find a way to win for sure. So got to find a way to stop their rushing attack with six in the box without our best defensive line. That's going to be tough. We have a lot of depth and I'm curious to see what we do to kind of compensate for potentially not having Jordan Davis. All right, Curtis, let's finally wrap things up. What is your one key to winning this football game? Uh, you can't lose the turnover battle. You simply cannot. In, in this kind of game, with the margins this thin, with our offense struggling like it has been, we cannot give them simple possessions. We can't give them easy scores, can't give them extra possessions. So it's going to be tough enough to stop them anyway. But extra possessions is going to make it a, a very tough hill to climb. Do you think we're going to end up winning that turnover battle, Curtis, if you had to predict now? Um, I not if we come out throwing picks because that's the one thing Kyle Trash doesn't do a lot of is throw picks because they he, give him such easy, yeah. easy throws. He, he'll give you some turnover worthy plays, but for some reason, he gets away with them. But you're right, he's a pretty smart guy. Do you expect us? Uh, so, if, you, if you're throwing picks, would you kind of advocate running the football a lot more than maybe we have? Uh, I mean, obviously, we ran it 75% of the time last week, so maybe not to that degree, but do you would you advocate running the ball more than maybe we did against Alabama against Florida? I'm not advocating for that as much as I am advocating probably for just more high percentage throws, more early throws on early downs, uh, such as play actions on first and second downs. We just can't get into deep throwing downs because that's when we will be in trouble. I, I love that. I think I think running the ball has to be the identity in this game, but we've got to go with some play action on early downs. You're right, first down. Stetson actually, guys, his numbers are really high. If you look at his percentages on first downs and off play action. So let's put that together. Let's throw on first down using play action 
quite a bit in this game and see what we can do. Because I can tell you, we're going to get some heavy boxes on those early downs, first down situation. Go play action. Do it early. Take a shot early in the game. That's what you have to do all the time, but take a shot early in the game. I'm totally with you there, Curtis. And that's a great key to the game. And honestly, I think there's a couple keys to the game. But if I had to pick one, I would say we cannot fall behind in this game. That's the key. We have to get an early lead and play from ahead. We cannot be trying to fight our way back, fight and claw our way back throughout this game. That's not what we are built to do. These are going to be two teams on Saturday in Jacksonville who want to play two very different games with their suspect defense and their really high-powered offense. Obviously, Florida wants to make this a track meet. That's in their best interest in order to win this game. Then on the flip side, with our elite defense and I guess you could say an inconsistent offense, we want to make this a low-scoring affair, shorten the game, limit possessions, keep their offense off the field, force a few turnovers, and capitalize on those turnovers while, of course, also protecting the ball at all costs. That's our formula to success in this game against Florida, which is essentially the opposite to Florida's formula to success in this game. We just, again, are not built to come from behind. Exhibit one is the Alabama game. We were in control of that game really for two and a half quarters until we gave a few big plays in the second half. And then once we got behind after some turnovers, it was over. We are built to be a front-running team. If right now the strength of this team, which I believe it is, is running the football up front with our backs and offensive line, we absolutely are not built to play from behind. We are built to play with the lead. That's what this team is built to do. So we need to go out and grab the lead early, just like we did against Kentucky, and then just limit possessions, grind the clock. And I know that's not what people want to see. They want to see us be high-powered, explosive, put up 50-plus points on Florida. And I would love to see that, too. That would be incredible. Like, let's do that. But I don't know if that's what we're built to do. I think our best chance to win a game like this right now with where our, our offense is, the quarterback situation, we don't know about the, the health of George Pickens, which is also, by the way, if you want to throw another cause for concern, is George Pickens healthy? Is he going to play? Because if not, man... That is going to be a huge blow to this offense because we need him healthy to go out there and win some of those one-on-one matchups in the secondary. A guy that you can kind of just throw the ball up to and, and have him go get it. We need a guy like that in a game like this. So just throw that one back out there. But our offense is just not built to do this. So I think playing from ahead is uh, is a key to this game. And I also, here, I'm going to throw you out a couple more keys since this is a big game after all. Can we win first and second down to get to our dying package when we get all of our athletes on the field, make it very tough on floor, talk about getting pressure on Kyle Trask. Our best way to do that is in our dying package because we have so many guys that are so versatile that, that a lot of times we only bring four. I've, I've detailed this many times, guys. We bring four the vast majority of the time, but when we get in our dying package, it's just so much more difficult for them to know where those four are coming from with our simulated pressure looks, guys coming from all over the place, guys that can drop into coverage and blitz with the same kind of frequency. It's tough to handle. So to do that, to get to those situations, we need to win first and second down. That's really big. And then kind of go along with that, can we pressure Kyle Trask with the four-man rush? We weren't really able to do that when we played Alabama. We couldn't really get to Mac Jones consistently, but their offensive line is a lot better than Florida's offensive line. So can we find a way to get pressure with a standard four-man rush? Because if we can, Kyle Trask numbers go way down when he's pressured with just a standard rush. That would be a huge key to this game as well. So there's a couple for you guys. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Thank you guys for joining us today like you do each and every week. Charlie and I will be back to wrap up the week with our Picks of the Week episode. We will have a guest host again this week. Had to take a week off last week through circumstances of fate here with the storm going on in Athens, people losing power, all that terrible stuff. But we will be back tomorrow with a brand new guest host who's actually never joined us before, so that should be a lot of fun. So check back then. 
But for Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs! Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.